Hey, Outcomes Rocket friends. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast once again. As a leader in healthcare, you have big ideas, great products, a story to tell, and are looking for ways to improve your reach and scale your business. However, there's one tiny problem. Healthcare is tough to navigate and the typical sales cycle is slow. That's why you should consider starting your own podcast as part of your sales and marketing strategy. At the Outcomes Rocket, I've been able to reach thousands of people every single month that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to reach if I had not started my podcast. Having this organic reach enables me to get the feedback necessary to create a podcast that delivers value that you are looking for. And the same thing goes if you start a podcast for what you could learn from your customers. The best thing about podcasting in healthcare is that we're currently at the ground level, meaning that the number of people in healthcare listening to podcasts is small but growing rapidly. I put together a free checklist for you to check out the steps on what it takes to create your own podcast. You could find that at outcomesrocket.health slash podcast. Check it out today and find a new way to leverage the sales, marketing, and outcomes of your business. That's outcomesrocket.health slash podcast. Welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring health leaders. Today, I have a magnificent person for you. His name is Jethro Heiko. He's the co-founder and CEO of Common Practice. He leads the company's mission to make great conversations in healthcare common practice, much like here at the Outcomes Rocket through the podcast, they do it a little bit more uniquely. Jethro has over 20 years of experience applying his skills in community organizing, strategic nonviolence and bereavement to authentically and deeply engage individuals, organizations, and communities. Following the death of his father 20 years ago, Jethro founded a bereavement support organization which helped college students cope with the serious illness of death of a loved one. This is a really serious topic today as much of our family ages if, as well as ourselves, we have a lot more deaths per year. And so the question is, how do we deal with this stage of life? How do we deal with even early stages of life when people are faced with a chronic illness or potentially deathly illness? This is the topic that we're going to be focused on today because Jethro and his team are very focused on this. So it's with an absolute pleasure that I welcome Jethro to the podcast. Welcome, my friend. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you, Saul. Hey, absolutely. Now, did I leave anything in that intro that I may have missed that you want to share with the listeners? I don't think so. I mean, I think um, one thing I'd mention is that the listeners may think, oh, this is going to be you know, a morbid topic. But <laughs> a lot of my work, you know, starting as a young person, I even realized I, I need to update my bio. My father died 25 years ago this summer, and I was a 20-year-old at the time. We were very close. He was very good at talking about his experience uh, with cancer, and he was also uh, it was a terminal diagnosis, so he knew he was going to die. And then I did work with young people for a number of years who were coping with the serious illness of a loved one and loss issues. And what I found is, and this is not a joke, when you're more and more comfortable with these topics, it opens up an entire kind of new window into your experience professionally, personally. You know, it's not just about death and end of life; it's about living your life in a way that's mindful of uh, the fact that it won't be forever. So I think uh, that's just one thing I'd mention because I want people to stay on the, <laughs> I want people to stay and listen. So I think- No, for sure. I think that's a good call out, Jethro. And, and folks, you, you know, we've had this end of life discussion uh, with other guests that we've had in the podcast. It's a very interesting topic. 
to Jethro's point, it brings to mind, uh, you know, Atul Gawande's book, you know, on being mortal, talking through some of those things and the changes that have led to how we look at death today. So uh, excited to dive into the things that you're doing, Jethro. Now, why did you decide to get into the medical sector to begin with? From that experience in my 20s, I did work in community work. It was not specifically healthcare related. And about, I'd say about six, seven years ago, uh, my co-founder and I and our team found ourselves in the midst of a very interesting consulting project with a state government around healthcare issues. And when that project ended in 2000 and around 2012, we felt like, oh, we should really solve some meaningful issues in the medical sector in healthcare and felt that based on my experience and work around bereavement and our kind of work as human-centered designers, which is the way we kind of think of ourselves, that there was a real opportunity to explore ways that we could help health systems and the communities that they serve just better engage in conversations and interactions around these kind of tough topics that are often avoided. So that's, that's what brought us into healthcare was a consulting project and then when it ended and feeling like, oh, we could really make an impact in this, this area. Very cool. So there's more to be done there. And you guys decided to keep running with the torch. That's right. Now, as you guys have been in this space for the last six, seven years, what do you feel, Jethro, is a hot topic that needs to be on every medical leader's agenda today? And how are you guys addressing it? That's a great question. I mean, I think that one of the main things that we work on is closing this gap, the gap between a clinician and a patient and family, whether that's in the, in the office, you know, at some kind of appointment or meeting or on the phone, there's often this divide between the experience of the person who's dealing with illness and their loved ones and the healthcare provider, whether that's a, a physician or a nurse or any other kind of provider. And I think that that gap, which relates to how to initiate conversations, can be filled not just through training and skills, but through really well-designed tools. You know, so in our case, it's a game called Hello, and we think there's other opportunities out there to design other interventions that improve communication, improve relationship building, build trust very in a strong way without needing to take a lot of time, because time is of essence, and we don't have much of it in these interactions. And I think that those relationships and the way we communicate in healthcare then has all these other ripple benefits when it comes to both clinical outcomes, as well as really important top of mind issues for healthcare leaders, like uh, you know issues of turnover and burnout amongst the workforce, which is a huge issue, and other kinds of costly things, reputation, bad press stories. You know, when you look at the actual reasons why sort of bad things happen in healthcare, at the core of it, it's often not necessarily a clinical intervention. It often the root is often more of a communication challenge. So I think that that's the thing I would bring to discussions with medical leaders is um, really focusing on things that sometimes are seen a little bit more as a soft skill, but that are really critical and, and can be improved upon through very well, you know, well-designed tools. For sure. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a big need, right? I mean, especially like you mentioned, once you leave the hospital or a hospice for that matter, it's hard to make mm-hmm. that transition, long-term care facility. So what would you say, Jethro, is an example of how your organization has created results by doing things differently. You mentioned this game and that you guys uh, mm-hmm. have. Maybe you talk about that a little bit or maybe sure. another example. That's great. And so the game Hello is really one of our, it's really our primary intervention 
it's an analog game, so it's played in person or by video, but you know, live with people, usually in groups of anywhere from like three to five people. And I think one of the other innovations is that we now have health systems and their community partners holding events as large as you know, 200, even 300 people within initiatives that help people engage in these conversations about things like advanced care planning, caregiving, coping with chronic and serious illness in a way that's actually enjoyable. So it's, it is a game that's made up of questions that are kind of very thought provoking things like, you know, what activities make you lose track of time or who haven't you spoken with that you'd like to speak with? Who haven't you spoken with the last six months that you'd like to speak with before you died? The questions that get at the heart of who you are, some of them are a little bit more clinical, some of them not as much clinical. So anyway, I think that's our real prime example and bringing games into healthcare, not the, not the easiest thing to do. It's been about a little over almost five years now that, uh, since we released the game. And, and increasingly, there's a lot of openness to creative solutions in healthcare, which is really good for us and I think good for healthcare. So I'm sure I can certainly talk about more about the game. But if you think about meaningful conversations that you have with groups of friends, your family sitting around a table, that's what the game does. But it doesn't require you to think so much or to come up with questions because the game is self-facilitated by the players. And one of the research studies, actually a number of research studies now shows that players that play the game at a very high rate, 80% of players take a meaningful advanced care planning step within eight weeks without any other intervention. Uh, I think that's, that's pretty meaningful, Jethro. And so how did you guys come up with this intervention, right? It could have been a lot of things. How did you come up with this solution? So we kind of went right at where we thought there might be a need and talked to people who dealt with that need all the time. So we met with and interviewed various kinds of healthcare professionals, lay people, patients, people that are you know, coping with serious illness and advancing serious illness. So people that you know, are coping with death and dying on a regular basis. And what we heard from those folks, in particular, I remember a bunch of hospice nurses telling us that they could tell whether or not families had conversations about end-of-life care and those families that have had those conversations they could provide better care more quickly to and Mm -hmm. we sort of took that as a challenge to design something to solve that problem so you didn't start with a video game and you were just kind of open-minded yeah Yeah, and actually yeah it's an analog game so it's not digital we started with really a question where do families have conversations so we said okay well families have conversations often around a table and we thought well if it's just a regular conversation, it's not quite enough, but where else do we kind of start conversations? We thought, oh, well, a lot of families have game nights. They sit around and play a game after Thanksgiving dinner. So we thought, okay, let's dig a little bit deeper into what games can offer when it comes to healthcare and, and communication in healthcare. Very cool. Jethro, that's a great idea. You know, we, we recently had a guest on the podcast, Lucian from the Netherlands. He's been involved in the sort of singularity movement on healthcare. And, and um, one of the messages that he said is go where they are, meet them where they are. We were talking mm-hmm. about how so many failures are made when ideas come up and you just come up with an idea without actually surveying or vetting out what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And being where they are was his, his message. And sort of you, you took it to the essence of that, right? Like where are our families having these conversations? And um, I love that, that you came up with this idea that, yeah, you know, dinner table is one thing, but afterwards, a lot of families do have this game time. So it's pretty neat that you landed on this. And so after you got it, I mean, what, what were your 
findings? Did you, did you pressure test it? Did you run with it? What was, oh, yeah. uh, what was the flow? Well, first it was a response to a design challenge by the California Healthcare Foundation. We were named one of the winners. Uh, so we knew we had something. Oh, cool. At that time, it was a prototype of the game. And then we felt like it needed even more testing. So we did a Kickstarter campaign. This was in the summer of 2013. Oh, nice. So five years ago this summer. And reached our goal. We exceeded our goal. And we used all of those Kickstarter backers as our test subjects. So we'd send prototypes out to folks. We would set up essentially focus groups, but, you know, people playing the game in front of us so we could see how it worked. We tested over 400 by 450 questions to get down to the what's now 32 questions that are in the, the game's like primary tool, which is a questions booklet that each player has and writes in. So yeah, just testing, testing. I mean, that's one of the things about our approach at Common Practice is this real strong belief in iteration and really almost an embracing of failure. And so yeah. seeing failure as a real generative approach or opportunity. So that's the way we approached it was we didn't sort of go in knowing what we wanted to do. We kind of went in again. I love what Lucian said on a previous podcast, you know, meet them where they're at, which is a very, you know, it's very similar to things that people say in the kind of work I did in community work was, you know, you want to really keep an eye on where the people, the community is at and an eye towards where they're going. And the goal of design, the kind of design that we do is kind of building that bridge in between those two things. Love it, Jethro. I think that's um, so great that you guys were able to kind of go through that process and here you are. Can you give uh, the listeners an example of what kind of outcomes you guys have created, improved outcomes through this? Sure. There's all the research done mostly at Penn State Hershey Medical Center that is looking at things like the use of the game by patients and lay people, which is showing this activation rate at a very high rate of 80% or 75 to 80% across multiple studies. There's been research also about, and a lot of use of the game in training settings. So mm -hmm. there's a study last year with chaplains in training, and it, it turns out that just playing the game two or more times increases confidence and comfort with difficult conversations and an increase in the frequency in which these providers actually engaged in difficult conversations. So that's exciting to us because we think that we'll never scale, we'll never get to the scale we need around engagement around these issues just through skills training that we need very simple to use tools, like I mentioned earlier. And then we have a lot of health systems that are in some ways that kind of proof is in the pudding, like organizations that are engaging in the thousands of people through initiatives where their staff are using the game to engage various community groups, various patient populations, and caregivers and families to really align care, to initiate goals of care conversations, and to encourage advanced care planning. I think that's pretty neat, Jethro. And Thank you. you know what? It just proves that people are open to these types of resources and becoming part of the normal training routine and, and making it part of an order set, so to speak, if death is to be near. I think it provides great resources for physicians. So if you're a physician leader or chief medical officer listening to this, thinking to yourself, what are some gaps that we need to bridge? Jethro really has a great solution here for your practice, for your organization. And at the end of the podcast, we're going to provide you a way to to get a hold of him and, and check out the organization and what they provide. So don't go anywhere. We're still going to be uh, having some more discussions about Jethro's experience here. So can you um, share with the listeners a time when you actually had a setback, maybe something that 
almost made you want to stop what you're doing right now. What did you learn from that failure that the listeners could also learn from? That's a great question. I think, uh, I mean, in some ways, the impetus of creating the organization was like came out of a pretty big failure many years ago, which was, or six years ago, I'd say, which was that we we basically had a, a crisis of imposter syndrome crisis. <laughs> so, you know, we were, you know, felt like we were pretty good doing consulting work, first time coming into healthcare, doing consulting and felt like we needed, our team alone didn't have the skills or experience to do it effectively. So we actually hired a number of contract workers to work with us and our team and they were seasoned and they were very experienced. And before we knew it, we kind of lost control and let's just say it wasn't the prettiest of outcomes. So that, yeah. In some ways, that was uh, what kind of brought us, I think, eventually to kind of a more, I think, authentic approach to our work. Because really, as a people that really embrace change work and you know background, like you mentioned, in community organizing and nonviolent strategy, our interests really are about helping people in leadership make the changes that they seek that are in support of the communities that they serve. And I think we thought. Well, we have to look differently. We have to act differently. We have to talk differently. We have to be sort of, I'll put in quotes, like we have to be smarter than we were. And I think about my career, about 25 years of it, I've noticed that about myself, that it's, I can kind of undervalue things that I bring to the experience. And I don't think that's unusual for professionals, but. It's very normal. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I'm glad you're bringing this up, Jethro, because I think this is all too common, actually. And I think all of us, have at one point or another gone through this. Some learn the lesson, others don't. But I think folks, what Jethro is talking about here is he called it imposter syndrome, but also the feeling that what you have to offer isn't enough or it's not as valuable as you think it is. And in the end, what ends up happening is your own belief that it isn't makes it so. So Jethro, it sounds like with this sort of uh, brought in some some people from outside of the organization, spun out of control, but then you went back to your roots, uh, what mm-hmm. you knew, and now you guys are rocking and rolling again. And one resource that was really helpful, and many of your listeners may have already may know her work, that was really helpful to us, and in some ways is very much, I think the principles behind her work are embedded into the design of our game, because when we were designing the game, her work was definitely top of mind. We were reading her books, is the work of Brene Brown. That's the book that I think we were reading at the time was Daring Greatly, but she's had a couple books since then. You know, she's a scholar in, I think, in Texas who looks at issues of kind of vulnerability and shame and really like very practical tools. I wouldn't say so much self-help. I mean, really in some ways, even more uh, nitty gritty, tangible things that you can use. And that definitely helped us like understand, oh, this is what happened. Here's how we get back to who we are. Here's how we get back to adding value. Here's how we want to, you know, be in the world. So anyway, that's a resource that I definitely recommend to the listeners. Yeah, that's a great call out. We'll make sure to add that in the in the show notes. So you guys made a great turnaround. I mean, it's been seven years. You found your core strength again. You built from it. And now you're adding huge value. I mean, thousands of people using your platform is no joke. So you're obviously adding value to the conversations that affect all of us, all of us as listeners, all of us as providers, all of us as entrepreneurs, patients, you name it. So what would you say, Jethro, is is your proudest medical business leadership experience that you've had to date? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, <laughs> I feel like some are about to come up. Like I'll be, I'll be speaking uh, at an upcoming conference in Charlotte. I'm very excited about. Nice. Although actually, recently I was in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and was a visiting professor at the Wright Center for Graduate Medical Education. 
And in some ways, that was the proudest moment because I don't think of myself really as an educator, but my father and my mom too, both educators, my father was a professor. So even just that one day of being called a visiting professor <laughs> and having classes, you know, sessions, every session we played our game, hello, uh, and then had discussions about kind of, again, how do you kind of manage this gap that's in between people, in, particularly in like a, in a clinical encounter. And it was great. I mean, two of the se- there was five sessions during the day. Two of them were with third-year residents. And those sessions are very insightful, very dynamic, some really good, robust discussions. So that was a very proud moment to be you know, in front of groups of residents as a visiting professor and sharing what I've learned, the wisdom, and how to take things that much of the work I've done is outside of healthcare and learning how to integrate that in so that healthcare can really benefit from some things that are you know, oftentimes sort of left again, outside of healthcare system work that really healthcare can really benefit from. So that was yeah, that's pretty great, Jethro. Congrats on that. How did Thank it feel? You. I mean, you're, you're, you were the professor and you're kind of like in the footsteps of your parents. That must have felt pretty good. It felt great. I can't say I was quite as dynamic as my father. Like he, he, ended, up, <laughs> uh, he ended up being um, a professor of production management. So he's an expert in kind of Japanese oh, wow. production management, like just-in-time management principles. So he included things like... Kaizen. Well, yeah, exactly. And he wants to like wrote a Harley, I think, into the, the Harley uses that approach to wow. management. He'd always serve sushi to his classes. Dang, uh, he sounds like a fun professor. Yeah, I want to so be in his class. Exactly. <laughs> I can't say I, I didn't match him yet, but I still have hopefully time to do it, so... That's awesome, man. He yeah. sounds like a fun guy. And, yeah. And hey, my wife's Japanese, so a little love there. That's very cool, man. I love that. Well, congrats on that and uh, more to come because uh, you're just at the beginning of it, man. I mean, you're you're doing so many great things. You're impacting the lives of many. And one thing that comes to mind here, folks, is the things that are most important. And, I, and for me, I, I kind of got this after reading that on Being Mortal by a tool, talking Thinking through what's important to you. I mean, I found myself talking to my wife about, hey, how do you want to, you want to be buried? You want to be cremated? How do you want to die? Do you want to die at home, at the hospital? And so as you all, even though you're maybe far from death, it's important to consider these questions as you put together your will or your trust. Mm -hmm. Because as you write out what you want to happen, it's very healthy to have these conversations. I don't know, what, what are your thoughts on that, Jethro? I, mean, I think it's very healthy. I mean, it's funny because while I was designing the game, my daughter was five, my son was three or eight uh-huh. and ten now. And I engaged particularly my daughter quite a bit in discussions about the game. We even like tested questions on all the questions on her. She answered all of them. So I think there's often a, a kind of perspective that this stuff is really scary. I think our approach and the kinds of questions that we have included in the game make it and the structure of the game. Like, it's not just questions. It's also, uh, there's chips in the game called thank you chips, which players mm-hmm. give to each other to express gratitude. Awesome. There's other, other, other rules that uh, make it safe. So, for example, you don't have to answer the question. You can always pass. You're always able to kind of control the way that you're disclosing things. And so there's, I think that there's a lot to make from, and a lot I learned as a young person in coping with you know mortality with the fact that illness happens it happens to us it happens to people we care about and you know those are going to be facts of life that you can't really control but there is things you can control you know how do you respond to those moments of adversity how do you either do you run from caregiving or do you run towards it do you 
express the things that you feel are important to the people that you care about or you don't. I mean, those are all things that we can choose when life sends us things that you can't choose. So that's the way I sort of see the work that we do is, yes, it's about end of life. And yes, it can be frightening. And yet there's a bunch of tools, a bunch of skills, a bunch of insights that, you know, we didn't create them. I and mean, human, human beings have been creating ways for us to cope with this reality and challenge of life forever, uh, right? So yep. what we've done in our work is kind of harness some of those insights into a, an experience that is propelled by a game so that people find it, you know, non-threatening to engage in things that they might avoid. So I would just say, you know, what we're not encouraging is just to blindly go into the world and talk about issues without some structure. Instead, what right. we're really encouraging is whether it's our game or other structures, use those structures, use those systems, use the fact that you may be part of a strong family or a strong team or learn how to build those strong teams and strong families so that you can not just engage in the discussions, but also cope with the reality of very challenging situations that unfortunately we're going to face, you know, at least a number of times in our life and, uh, and we can do better at it. Inevitable. Yeah, for sure. It's a great call out that structure Keeping it there is key. Tell us about an exciting project or focus that you guys are working on there. Uh, super exciting project. Well, I'm starting to get a lot of interest in the in the South, which mm-hmm. to me is exciting in part because I'm not from the South. I'm originally from Boston, even though my name is Jethro. I know, strange. But <laughs> so anyway. So that's what does your exciting. name mean, by the way? Well, Jethro is a biblical name. He was the uh, oh. father-in-law of Moses. Oh, wow. Cool. And my parents like the story because Jethro gave Moses this advice that when Moses was overwhelmed with demands on his leadership, that he should find 10 people to trust. And in turn, those 10 people will find people they trust. It was basically like, how do you build a structure to deal with uh, challenging issues, right? So yeah. that's why they liked it. So it kind of... Sort kind of, of meshes with what you do yeah, now, right? Exactly. Yeah, sort of that's pretty cool. So I think the um, it's really exciting to engage with people that I didn't engage with as a young person. I didn't encounter a lot of folks in the South. I haven't traveled that much in the South, although I have been more recently. And I do think, I think it's fairly likely that if there's a statewide initiative that uses the hello game to engage, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of participants, which I think will is will happen, I think it will likely be a state in the South. Why do you feel that? Well, one, because they're further along. So like our, our largest partners are health systems and and other organizational partners in, I'd say right now, in North Carolina and Georgia. Gotcha. Uh, we're investing a lot of energy and time in that region, in part, not because we sort of said, like, let's focus our energy on the South, so much as the South has sort of shown up as giving energy to us and really making investments that make sense and that help us get to the scale we need to. Yep. Now, of course, if your listeners are not from the South and they say, no, no, we want to be the first state, <laughs> I'm happy to talk to anyone. Like, I, I, The other funny thing is uh, we have a lot going on in British Columbia. So, ah, cool. so I got this sort of like diagonal that's going across the U.S. into Canada. So yeah, it's, that's I think the exciting thing is that we're starting to talk with partners about a scale that I feel like is really necessary to you know, change the culture in a way that's meaningful around these issues, which is you know, at you know, a much larger regional statewide level. That's pretty cool. So listeners, if you're in the South or not, <laughs> if you're all, anywhere, a healthcare system leader looking to engage this topic of end of life in a refreshing way that is impactful to your physicians, to your patients and caregivers, definitely reach out to Jethro. Uh, if you go to outcomesrocket.health slash Jethro, 
you're going to find the show notes as well as a transcript and contact information there that Jethro will share here closer to the end. So just go to outcomesrocket.health slash Jethro for that. So Jethro, let's pretend you and I are building a leadership course on what it takes to be successful in the business of medicine today. It is the 101 of Jethro Heiko. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to build a syllabus, four questions, lightning round style, followed by a book that you recommend to the listeners. You ready? I think I'm ready. All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? Creating psychologically safe teams. What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? Overinvesting in technology. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? Talk to your customers. What is one area of focus that should drive everything in a healthcare organization? Communication. What's your all-time favorite book, Jethro, that you'd recommend to the listeners? I think for the syllabus, I'd go with The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle, a more recent book, but it's fascinating and I think kind of fabulous. (laughs) Love it. The Culture Code code. Again, listeners, go to outcomesrocket.health slash Jethro for links to the book, Jethro's company, as well as any of the other resources and transcript. This has been a blast, brother. Um, I'd love if you could just share a closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could get in touch with you or follow you. Well, I'm very grateful for your time, Saul, and your energy and for the patience of the listeners for listening in. And so excited to see what comes next and happy to talk to anyone. I, I really enjoy you know, I don't think I would be true to myself if I started a company like this and didn't enjoy talking to people. So happy to talk with any of your listeners and explore opportunities to partner. And I think the best way to get a hold of us, I and mean, certainly the website, commonpractice.com, great way to learn about our work. A lot of videos there as well. And certainly you can also email me, jethro at commonpractice.com and happy to find a time to talk directly as well. Outstanding. There you have it, listeners. You got the website, you got the email address, make it happen. Don't sit there after this and just think about it for later. If something about today struck a chord with you, take action. Jethro, just want to say thanks again. Really appreciate you dedicating your time to the listeners as well as the the community and uh, looking forward to staying in touch with you. That'd be great. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Saul. Hey, Outcomes Rocket friends. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast once again. As a leader in healthcare, you have big ideas, great products, a story to tell, and are looking for ways to improve your reach and scale your business. However, there's one tiny problem. Healthcare is tough to navigate and the typical sales cycle is slow. That's why you should consider starting your own podcast as part of your sales and marketing strategy. At the Outcomes Rocket, I've been able to reach thousands of people every single month that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to reach if I had not started my podcast. Having this organic reach enables me to get the feedback necessary to create a podcast that delivers value that you are looking for. And the same thing goes if you start a podcast for what you could learn from your customers. The best thing about podcasting in healthcare is that we're currently at the ground level, meaning that the number of people in healthcare listening to podcasts is small but growing rapidly. I put together a free checklist for you to check out the steps on what it takes to create your own podcast. You could find that at outcomesrocket.health slash podcast. Check it out today and find a new way to leverage the sales, marketing, and outcomes of your business. That's outcomesrocket.health slash podcast.